You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. This morning we continue on in our series through uh, prayer, talking about what it is, what prayer is. We talked about what prayer is. We defined prayer as personal communication with God. We've talked about that because of Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a moment, because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for our sins, that we have access to God, that because of our sinfulness and God's holiness, you and I in and of ourselves do not have access to God. It's only through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrections that we can even approach God in prayer. And so we talked about that prayer is personal communication with the Holy God. That when you and I pray, we have a private audience with the God of the universe. And so we talked about how prayer works, that prayer works because of Jesus, Jesus making that way, that access to us. We talked about how we should pray. We've talked about praying in God's will. We talked about praying in the name of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we had a prayer service where all we did as a, as a congregation was prayed. And so now within these next four weeks, we're talking about four important elements in prayer, that when we pray, we should include these elements. Now, when I say that, I don't want us to think that we have these checks, these check boxes that we have to hit every time we pray. But we should be in consistently, habitually including these elements of prayer when we pray. Last week, we talked about adoration. That a key piece to prayer when we pray, that we are to adore and worship God. I would say of these four elements of prayer, that adoration is one of the most forgotten elements of prayer. That a lot of times we just rush right into different elements of prayer and we forget adoration of worshiping God in prayer, praying to God about his attributes, who he is praying and, and praising God for his, his, for God, for him being creator and his sovereignty and his goodness and his grace and mercy. And we could create a really long list about who God is, but that should be an incredible peace to our prayer lives that when we pray, we include adoration and worship of who he is in prayer. And today we're going to talk about a second key element to prayer, and that is of confession. Confession. I think if we were to rank them, and I don't see the purpose of this, but for example's sake, if we were to rank forgotten elements of prayer, I think confession is an immediate uh, part of prayer that we forget. And here's why we think this. If you're a believer this morning, if you confess to be a believer in Jesus Christ, one of the pitfalls of being a believer in Jesus Christ is thinking, I have believed in Jesus, I'm doing the best that I can, so therefore I'm good, I can live however I want to live. That And we may not verbalize. I don't know if any of us would be foolish enough to like come out and say that, but a lot of us, we live our lives like, I've got my ticket to heaven, 
and therefore I can go and I can really live however I want. As long as I don't rob a bank and I don't murder anyone or I don't do anything really, really bad, then there, then I'm an overall pretty good person. And so we, we rank our spirituality based on that because I'm, I'm good. I've prayed a prayer. Um, I've got um, hell insurance. I've got my get out of hell free card. And so now I'm, I'm good to go. And that's how I was when I was a teenager. I, I can't, I've told uh, our, our church this many times, I can't, I'm not, uh, I, can't, I can't even count the amount of times when I was laying in bed in middle school, early high school, and I would uh, think about, man, if I died in my sleep, where would I go? Would I go to heaven? Would I be with Jesus? And so I'd pray prayers like, uh, God, if I'm not saved, save me. I don't know how many times I did that. Probably did that hundreds of times. And I really thought that as long as I asked Jesus into my heart, then I was good. That therefore I can just go to heaven and, and I'm, I'm covered. I, I'm good to go. And the, but my life really did not live up to that. I would just pray those prayers and then I would live however I want to do. And so because of our flavor of Christianity, one thing we've done is we've kind of dumbed down salvation. And honestly, we've kind of, if we're not careful, created a works-based salvation. That as long as I say a prayer and I sign a piece of paper and I join a church and I get baptized and I serve in the church and I give money and I read my Bible and pray every day, therefore I am good. And then what we've done when we've condensed our Christian life into that, we have created a works-based salvation. Where if I just do these things, then I am saved. I am good to go. When reality is, a follower of Jesus Christ is a person who understands that, yes, their sins are forgiven, but they also understand their sinful nature and their propensity to continue to sin. And because of their sin, their relationship with God is out of line. It's out of whack. Because we have to understand that we are different than God. Yes, we are created in his image. And that's why human life is so valuable is because we're created in his image. But we are not like God in our nature. You see, God is holy. He is completely without sin. At the essence of who God is, is his holiness. That is a key piece that makes him God, is that he is completely 100% holy. Even right now, the angels of heaven are gathered in the throne room of heaven, and they are crying out, holy, holy, holy. That is who God is. When we say that God is light, as was read in 1 John 1, that mean he, it means he is totally pure. There is no sin in him. And because of God's nature of his holiness, God cannot tolerate sin. He is not able to function around it. He is not even able to look upon it. 
And so because of this extreme holiness and purity of who God is in his character, we are everything but. We are incredibly sinful. In fact, I think if we were each to evaluate and take stock in our lives of just this past week in the last seven days, we would see just how incredibly sinful we really are. If we were to put up on this screen, and we're not going to do it, if we were to put up on this screen the sins that each of us have committed this week, you would probably get up and leave. I would too. Because if I knew the sins that you committed this week, and you, you, I wouldn't want to be around you. And if you knew the sins that I committed this week, you wouldn't want to be around me. And so at our nature, we are incredibly sinful people. I mean, even this week, we were selfish. We manipulated. We lied. We lusted. We were angry. We were prideful. We gossiped. We did all of these things, and we can make a really long list. And we did all of these things, and we sinned before God. And when we do these things, that's a huge part of this, because when we sin— It is a direct attack on God's character. One, when we sin, we are saying that, God, you are not good. This is better in my life. And so I'm going to choose this over you. And so what that really is, is idolatry. We're guilty of idolatry every time we sin. And so when we sin, There is a fracturing of our relationship. Even when we are a believer in Jesus Christ, there's friction there. It's like a human relationship. If you're not on good terms with someone in a human relationship, there's friction there. You're not on the same page. And so even if we're a believer in, in Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him as we sin, it is hurting our relationships with him. And so the the thing we have to come to, a key piece to prayer is confession of sin. So we're going to look at this that this morning. So turn to 1 John chapter 1. We heard it read a little bit ago, but I want us to come back to that. And we're going to hit some other passages of scripture this morning, but look at 1 John chapter 1. First John's always one of those. I had my bookmark in it and it fell out. Here we go. First John chapter one. And let's go to verse five. First John one, verse five, it says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. Do you hear that? Now we're not saying that God is a light bulb or anything. No, no, what we're talking about when we say God is light, that he is pure, untarnished. That's his holiness we're talking about. And what light does is it exposes. And so as we have sin in our life, because God is light, God in his holiness, he exposes sin. So God is light and there's absolutely no darkness in him or no sin is what that means. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness or we walk in sin, we are lying 
and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. I cannot think of a more scary, concerning phrase in the Bible. And the truth is not in us. That if we live in a way we have no sin, and again, not saying that that we're all living as we're perfect, but we live with a mindset that our sin is not a big deal, is really literally what that means. If we live in a way that our sin is not a big deal, if it is not a big deal, if we sin, then the truth is not in us. We are deceiving ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. What are we lying to ourselves about? Whether we have a real relationship with Jesus or not. And I wonder how many people go to church Give money to charity, volunteer, and they think I'm an overall pretty good person. My sin is not a big deal, though they may not verbalize that, their actions speak it. And they live in that way and they are lying to themselves and they don't even realize that they're not even in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus even told his disciples in the gospel of Matthew, he said, on that last day, there will be many that will stand before me and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these good things in your name? And then the Bible says that Jesus would say, will tell them, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus told his disciples that belief in him wasn't even necessarily the standard. Because Jesus said, even the demons believe who I am. So I wonder if in our country and around the world, how many millions of people are good people, yet they don't take their sins seriously. And because they don't take their sins seriously, they don't have a understanding of the gospel and therefore the truth is not in them. There was a famous preacher that a few decades ago said the most damning place for an individual to be is in the facility of a church because we can lie to ourselves and think I'm good. My sin's not a a big deal. And we can lie to ourselves as first John one, eight says, but keep going. Look at verse nine. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned again, or if we live in a way as if our sin's not a big deal, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Faith family, your sin and my sin is a big deal. 
It is not this simple contrite thing that the devil made us do it. No, when any time we sin, no matter how small it might be in our mortal minds, every time we sin, we are making a mockery of the gospel. Every time we sin, we are in direct rebellion to God. And you say, Adam, I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't murdered anyone. And my sin's not as bad as yours. And that might be true. But the reality is every time we might commit these small sins of gossip, anger, lying, manipulation, bad motives in something we do, we are in direct rebellion with God. And so as we sin and we approach God in prayer, God hears us. God knows what we're asking, but there's friction there. Something is not right. And because our obedience to God is never perfect in this life, we continually depend on his forgiveness for our sins. And confession of sin is necessary in order for God to forgive us in the sense of restoring his day-by-day relationship with us. Even in the model prayer or the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter six, Jesus even instructed the people listening to him teach. He said, he said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive others. A key piece of, of, of prayer is confession and asking forgiveness for sins. And when we pray, we should confess all known sin to God and to ask for his forgiveness. And so when I say that, that we should confess all known sin to God, to the Lord, it is calling out our sin by name. God, I have lied. God, I was angry. God, I was prideful. Lord, I was selfish. Lord, I manipulated. Lord, I, and we list that sin out by name. But in reality, when we pray, a lot of times we just give a passing nod to confession. God, forgive me my sins. Okay, good. That's over with. No, when we are confessing sin and we are talking about the seriousness of our sin, we are calling our sin out by name. And so when, when, when was the last time in prayer you called out your sin to God by name? We have examples of this in Daniel chapter 9, verses 4 through 6 and 9 through 10. I'll read it to us. Listen to this. Daniel said, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned, done wrong, act wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. 
We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, fathers, and all the people of the land. What's Daniel saying? He is calling his sin out. He is calling the sin of the nation of Israel out. What did the nation of Israel do? They worshiped other, other gods. And he said, he calls that out, that sin of Israel out. He says, we have turned away from your commands and ordinances of you shall not have any other gods before me. And Daniel calls that out in the prayer of confession. But then he goes on in verse nine, he says, compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord, our God. Though we have rebelled against him, and, not, and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. He's saying, we've ignored the prophets. We've ignored God's servants and we've lived however we wanted to live. When was the last time you and I prayed like that? Nehemiah prayed like this. Nehemiah chapter one, verses five through seven, Nehemiah says, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have, act, we have acted corruptly towards you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah says, God, as a nation, we have broken your Ten Commandments. Your commandments have revealed how sinful and wicked we are. Again, I ask the question, when was the last time you and I prayed like that? Where we took our sin so seriously that we called it out to God by name and asked for his forgiveness. And here's the beautiful thing about prayer and how God communicates to us through prayer and through his Holy Spirit. Sometimes when we wait on God in prayer and when we bring our sin before him and we begin confessing our sin out by name, specifically confessing out our sins, God then, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit begins to bring other sins to mind that we need to confess. And that is the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. One of the functions of the Holy Spirit that lives inside the life of the believer is that he convicts sin. He calls out sin in our lives. And so as we pray and specifically call out sin in our prayers, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind other sins that we need to confess. And God purifies us and refines us to where we are that pure vessel before him. And then we have communion and fellowship with him. David even prayed like this in Psalm 19, verse 12. David even said, clear me from hidden faults. God, I know I am sinful. There are even sins in my life that I don't even know about. Clear me of them. David understood his sinful nature. Turn over to James chapter 5. 
even in prayer, there is one more step when we talk about confession in our life with God. Because in reality, our sin is not just against God, it's also against other people. And so look at James chapter 5 and look at verse 16 of James 5. It says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Wow. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. I wonder if the reason why you and I do not have good, good communication with God through prayer, I wonder how many of us have prayers that have not been answered because we have unconfessed sin in our lives. Because James writes right here, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in, in, in its effect. I wonder how many of us are frustrated because we don't feel like our prayers are very effective because we are not righteous before God. We have sin in our lives. And so there's friction and there's brokenness in our relationship with God. And James, in the first part, he says something that I, to be honest, I'm not comfortable with. Now, that doesn't mean I can take it out of the Bible, okay? I can't be like Thomas Jefferson and copy and paste what I want in and out of the Bible. But I'm going to be honest with you. When I read James 5, 16, I'm immediately uncomfortable, okay? Confession time for Adam. I'm really uncomfortable with this. I don't like this. This is not my choice. This is not my preference. If it was up to me, and it's not, it was up to me, James 5, 16 wouldn't be here, but it is. And it is inspired and it is inerrant. So I am not qualified to take this out. But James 5, 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That scares me. You know why? Because I'm really good at putting a facade on. I'm really good at making things look okay. And don't look at me like that because you do it too. We don't like to call out our sin to other people. We like confession of sin be, uh, of in prayer. We're kind of okay. That's between me and God, right? You ever heard that phrase? My sin's between me and God. No, it is not. Because when we sin against God, did you know, know and understand that we sin against one another? We sin against the body of Christ. We sin against the church. And I think a lot of times we just have this mindset, my sin's between me and God. It's no one else's business. It's not anyone else's problem. It's mine. It's between me and God. But no, when we sin, we sin in a way that it is, a, it is sin against the body of Christ, the church. So James addresses this spot on and he says, therefore, confess your sins one to another. And then he said, and judge one another for your sins, right? Is that what he says? No. And here's why, and listen, I get the fear. Here's why we don't like to confess sins one another. Why? Because we are terrible, judgmental people. 
We're bad. I mean, it's ridiculous how bad we judge one another. It's embarrassing. Because really, here's what our mindset of sin is. And I'm guilty of this too. Here's our mindset of sin. My sin's not as bad as that person. And I, well, at least I haven't done that. At least I didn't say that. At least I didn't act out in that way. And really what we're doing, we're just kind of pointing each other. Saying, oh, good, good. That person did this, so I'm good. I'm, I'm not a bad. Listen, your sin might be worse than mine, or your sin might be better than mine, or whatever. But the reality is we are sinful, and we are in the same boat together, and we desperately need Jesus. And so in James 5, 16, it says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, not judge one another, not dole out advice for one another, not try to fix the problem for one another. No, pray for one another. So here's what the church should look like. And I know this seems like a pipe dream, But here's what the church should look like. It should look like us confessing our sin to one another, not not being embarrassed of it and not hiding it, but we should be confessing our sins for one another. And the number one reaction should should not be shame on you. The reaction should be, let's pray together because you know what? I messed up this week too. And unfortunately, the church is one of the most judgmental places we we can ever have, right? I mean, we judge other people on their marriages. We judge people on where they're sitting in church. We judge people what they're wearing to church. When reality, we're just, each, each of us are, we're just as decrepit and sinful and rebellious as everybody else. And so the natural reaction when we hear of sin and when sin is confessed is to pray and not to judge. Last passage I want us to take a look at, take a look at Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28 and look at verses 13 and 14. It says, The one who conceals his sins will not prosper. That word conceals means to hide. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Happy is the one who is always reverent, but one who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Faith family, here in just a moment, we're going to have a time of confession where we're all going to get up at this microphone right here and we're going to confess our sins to one another. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. There was some panic. I saw panic. I, I literally just saw panic. That was fun. I was planning. I was looking forward to that all week. There was panic. People were like, oh, wait, you know, I got to go eat now. I uh, got to go get my kid out of nursery. Oh, wait, no, never mind. I don't have kids in nursery, but I'm going to go get some kid out of the nursery. But faith family, when we confess our sin to God, he says, we, the one who conceals his sin will not prof- uh, prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. So here in just a moment, what we are going to do is we are going to take some time to pray and to confess our sins before a holy God. 
we're going to take some time to call out our sins specifically to God and name our sin for what it is. Because the one who conceals or hides his sin before God will not prosper. And it's silly of us to do that anyway. Because God's omniscient. He knows our sin. He sees it. So the one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. So just here in a moment, we are going to call out our sin. We're going to confess our sin. We're going to renounce our sin. So we will find mercy. So we confess our sin before God and we renounce, I like that word renounce. We renounce our sin before God. We are not judged. We will find mercy. I love this new modern hymn that the Gettys have wrote, written. I think it's the Gettys. The Gettys that have written, though our sins are many, his mercy is more. And so as we go into this time of prayer and to confession, take that promise to the bank. Though your sins, they are many, his grace is more. His mercy is more. Don't hide your sin, confess it. So stand with me. Stand with me and we're going to read Psalm 51. You'll see it up here on the screen. This was a a prayer of confession that David wrote after he committed adultery and murder with Bathsheba. So look at Psalm 51 and read it out loud with me as we prepare our hearts for this time of confession. Psalm 51 and verse 1, read it with me. It says this, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was born guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow." Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want to sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. 
the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will, despise, you will not despise a broken and humble heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.